Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Jesus, you made the night divine and you made it holy. Without you, it's just another night. But when you entered the scene, everything changed. And so tonight, we can sing holy night. We can sing, O night divine, because of you. We're so thankful for that. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. On the eve of our Christmas celebration, we remember the candles that have been lit. First, we lit a candle for hope. Second, we lit a candle for peace. Third, we lit a candle for joy. Finally, we lit a candle for love. These candles remind us that Jesus Christ is the true reason for hope, peace, joy, and love in this season and forever. On this Christmas Eve, we light the center candle. This is the Christ candle. As we light the Christ candle, celebrating the end of Advent and the arrival of Christ and Christmas, let us remember how our Savior came once as a lowly baby and that the world through him might be saved and how he will return one day in glory. In John 8:12, Jesus tells us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the light. These candles and all they represent, represent you. You brought light into the darkness. And when your light entered, the darkness fled. We're so thankful for that. Because for all of us, we had hearts that were dark. But when you came, not just as a baby, but when you came and offered yourself for us and died for our sins and we accepted that love and grace and forgiveness, your light penetrates that darkness. And we're so thankful. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite all the children to join me. Guardian of the flame over there. Kenzie, you guard those flames. Christopher, you sit over here. <laughs> 
Touching the fire. No touching the. Oh, we got baby Caleb, you guys. Look. Oh, hi, Caleb. Think back a couple weeks or so before Miss Megan had Caleb. What if she came to service and it was all packed? All these chairs were full, and we got all the chairs out of the back and all the chairs out of the sheds and everybody was filled and all in the aisles and all up there and everything. It was just really full, praise God. Uh, and then Miss Megan came in the back and said, hmm, nowhere to sit. Do you think one of you would have given up your spot for her? I know a bunch of you would have, I know. But back in Jesus' time, there was no room, literally nowhere. He was born in a barn. Now, he was foretold, right? Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, everybody knew this Messiah was coming, this king was coming, and they were watching for him, right? But they didn't know it was that day. They didn't wake up that morning and go, you know what, I bet the Messiah's coming today. They didn't know exactly till those, those angels came, freaked out those shepherds, huh? Scared the shepherds, and then the angels had to say what they always say. Thank you, John, John. Every single time, right? Now, when the angel said, hey, Jesus is born over there. Your Messiah has come. He's over there. Go see him. Do you think maybe they told some people on their way? They had to tell somebody, right? You think maybe they saw some other shepherds on the other hill and said, you guys, Jesus, star, Messiah, come on. You think? And there was that one shepherd that said, I, you guys go ahead. My mom's making shepherd pie. I got to go. be back at the house. Right? You wouldn't like shepherd pie. It has peas in it. <laughs> Kenzie, it has mashed potatoes in it. You wouldn't eat it either. Emily would eat it. Right? <laughs> there was no room even at that time. The Bible says some shepherds came. Those three, three rich guys came along, right? Where was all the other people? You know they ran into some, some people on the way, right? They didn't come. I'm going to sing a song about it and ask an important question at the end. shelter in the cold night air some place where she could lay her head a place to give her babe a quiet bed was there no room no corner there in all of town a spot where they could share it was there no soul come to their aid stable bear was where the family stayed do you have room for the savior do you seek him anew do you have a place 
shepherd boy or as wise as kings of old would you have come that night would you have sought the light do you have communion together. Did everybody get some communion? Looks good. All right. Thank you, Helen. That was awesome. Thank you, Father. <clears throat> On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples for one last meal. And as he spent time with them and as he taught them many things and showed them many things scripture says that Jesus took bread he blessed it and he broke it and he began to hand it out to his disciples he said take this bread and eat it he said this bread is my body it's going to be broken for you let's go ahead and take the bread together then Jesus took a cup and he said, the wine in this cup, it, it represents my blood that will be shed for you. You see, Scripture teaches us without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. 
So Jesus, knowing that very soon his literal blood would be spilled, he invited his disciples to take and, and drink. He said, as often as you take this bread and take this cup, he said, do so in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. So Jesus, tonight, as we remember your birth, we also take some moments to remember why you came, to offer yourself for us. We're so thankful for that. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that you're doing well. I know that tonight is a really special night, it's a very exciting night, and I thank you for the opportunity to spend a little bit of time together before we kind of break off and, and spend some time with our, our families. But before we do that, I want to share a couple of thoughts, a couple of ideas that I feel like the Lord's kind of laid on my heart for this evening. We're going to be in Matthew, the second chapter. We're going to look at a couple of things that I think is, is very important as we, as we kind of look at our night and look at what Jesus has done for us. And in Matthew 2, starting with verse number 1 and 2, this is what we see. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. After this, of course, the wise men have some discussion with King Herod, and they discuss some of the situations and where the Messiah is going to be born, and, and they end up leaving Herod and in Matthew 9, this, the second part of that, we kind of pick up the story again. It says this, it says, as, And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Obviously, this is a story so many of us have heard so many times. We've seen it talked about. We've read about it in Scripture. We've seen it acted upon in usually small children's plays. I always get a kick out of it because usually frankincense is the one that's butchered. But these gifts are really important. You see, these gifts were not just something that was given then, but, but have a greater significance for us to understand that, that these wise men probably didn't even understand that they were doing. But, but our God is so big and so great that even when we don't understand all that we're doing and all that's happening, there's a greater story that's unfolding. But these wise men that we've heard a lot about, sometimes in other translations we see that they're called magi. 
These were individuals that, that, that were from the East. A lot of theologians and scholars believe that actually one of the reasons why these individuals knew that one day there would be a Messiah born, a king of the Jews, was because of the, of the Jewish, uh, when they were captives in Babylon in that time, in that area. And so these men were, were obviously extremely gifted in, in things like astrology, and we kind of hear a lot about that because of the star and because of those things. But they were not only guys that understood those things, but also they were, they were usually guys that were very good with medicine and, and healing herbs and properties of them. They would sometimes interpret dreams and things like that. These were very common types of individuals around the first century. And, and these individuals, depending on where they were at, they would sometimes, uh, when individuals in their areas or their communities would, would have a child, they would give these birthing gifts to them. And a lot of times they were gifts similar to the gifts that Jesus received because that not only was birth at that time very, very dangerous for the child and the mother, but it was a way to honor the family and, and care for them. And so these gifts were given to really help in the birthing process and also in the months after the birth to the child and, and the baby. So these gifts not only were valuable because of the monetary value of them, but they were very valuable because they were the medicine of the time. They were very, very, very important. And so these men come from the east, they follow the star, and they bring these gifts to Jesus. So these gifts would have been very, very prized and valued for many, many different reasons. A lot of individuals feel like these gifts were actually used not only at the time, but also when Mary and Joseph had to leave for Egypt because of what King Herod was about to do. So God used them in so many different ways. But not only were they important monetarily, not only were they important because of their medicinal effects and helps, but I believe that they also point forward to something very important. So this evening in a, in a short time that we have together, I want to look at these three gifts because I believe that these three gifts are very symbolic of Jesus's messianic identity they're very symbolic and remind us not just that Jesus starts in the manger but that he grows he becomes a man and he gives his life for us the first gift they bring is the gift of gold during the first century the gift of gold was, was or gold was looked at as having healing properties and it was also as you can imagine a gift that they would give to royalty and kings when the wise men came and they brought this gift, they were remembering, they were mentioning to everyone that would pay attention the royal bloodline that Jesus had. You see, Scripture teaches that, that there would come a Messiah from the line of King David. And he would come and he would be the king of his people. But more than just a king, more than just an earthly kingdom that the wise men thought they were celebrating Jesus came for an eternal kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom that would have no end. In Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, 
and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. You see, we need to remember that the gift of gold was so important because it reminds us of the divine kingship of Jesus. He is our king. He is our Lord, and we worship him as such. But they also brought the gift of frankincense. Frankincense was a very expensive oil that was used in temple rituals and celebrations. It was also used in homes because of its fragrance that it would be used in these sort of things. So, so people at the time when they would smell frankincense, they would think of worship. They would think of the temple. They would think of priests that would come and do their duties. And that's very important at this time because those priests would be the ones who would sacrifice that perfect lamb for the sins of the people. But Jesus came to be that sacrifice for us. He came to be that high priest for us. Hebrews 7, starting with verse number 26, says this, He is the kind of high priest we need because He's holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other priests, He does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when He offered Himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed His Son with an oath. And His Son has been made the perfect high priest forever. The gift of frankincense reminds us of the priestly ministry of Jesus. The final gift was the gift of myrrh. The gift of myrrh. Myrrh was used for many, many things at the time, but usually it was used in, in when a child was born and it was well known for its healing and its pain-relieving um, properties. It was also used, especially in ancient Egypt, as an embalming oil. And at Jesus' birth, he's given this, this myrrh. He's given this, this, this scent and this oil that can be used in so many different ways. And at that time, of course, they accept this gift and they are excited to have it. But this is not the only time that Jesus will experience and be touched by this particular oil. You see, later on, we see myrrh come back into Jesus' life. And it comes back while he's on the cross. You see, as he's being crucified, in Mark, we're told that Jesus is offered myrrh. Look at it with me. Mark 15, 23. It says, they offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. You see, at the time, what they would do is they would take kind of 
sour wine, almost vinegar, and they would mix it with myrrh, and they would offer it as a way to dull the pain of crucifixion or whatever ailment was going on. And it's so interesting to me that when Jesus was a baby, he accepted the myrrh. But when Jesus was dying for you and for me, he rejected it. He didn't want there to be anything that kept him from experiencing the shame, the hurt, the guilt, the sin that was rightly ours to bear. He rejected it. He didn't accept it. He wanted to make sure that he had the opportunity to feel the full brunt of all those things so you and I wouldn't have to. But we don't just see myrrh then. Myrrh makes another appearance just several hours later. We're told about that in John in John 19, 38 through 40, it says, Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night, and he brought about 75 pounds of perfume ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrap Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. You see, myrrh starts at his birth. Starts when he's a child. We then see myrrh on the cross as he is offering himself for the sins of not just me and not just you, but every person that's ever lived or ever will live. And then we see it again at his burial. We see him wrapped with Aloe and myrrh. But there's great news. The story of myrrh doesn't end there. The story of myrrh does not end with a body wrapped in a grave that stays there. You see, Scripture tells us that three days later, and I'm going to say it, probably with the scent of myrrh in the nostrils of the Roman guards, as that tomb and that rock was rolled away by the angel and a triumphant, resurrected Jesus walks back into that garden, the smell of myrrh might have very well been on the noses of everyone that was there. When Mary comes and finds Jesus, the myrrh could have been there. That smell that had started at His birth, that had gone from there to His death and His burial, then comes again at His resurrection. Look what we see in Psalms 45. If you don't know, Psalms 45 is a messianic text. It's something that we use to look forward to seeing the Messiah and seeing Jesus. But look what we see in Psalms 45, 6-8. through 8. It says, Your throne, O God, 
endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, speaking of Jesus, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Myrrh, aloes, and kasha perfume your robes. Our risen Savior, once again, smells of myrrh. Once again, that smell that started when he was young and he continued through a sinless life to the cross. Eventually, his robes now are f- f- smell of it. You see, it's so easy on a night like this and a season like this with all the imagery and all the pictures and all the things, all the things you see behind me. It's so easy to see that Jesus. But it's not who Jesus really is. You see, the myrrh reminds us of the saviorhood of Jesus. It reminds us that he came to die. He didn't come to stay as a little baby. He came to grow, live a sinless life, and offer his life for you and for me. So yes, we should celebrate the birth. We're going to celebrate the birth. We are celebrating the birth. But we always look past that just a little bit to why the birth had to happen. And that he was willing to come and die for you and for me. Thank you, Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we're so thankful for all that you are, all that you have done. We're so thankful that you came. We celebrate that tonight. But Jesus, we also remember your mission. And your mission was to save us from our sins. So we're so thankful that you are the king of an eternal kingdom that will last forever and ever. We're so thankful that you are our high priest making supplication for us, even now at the right hand of the Father, performing those priestly duties for us. And we're also thankful that you are our Savior, that you came to die for us. And so we celebrate you in all of those ways. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, if you, if you have a candle, we're going to have a candlelight time. Linda's going to come and she's going to play Silent Night on the uh, piano. And when all the candles are lit, uh, we'll all, let, let's all just stand now. We'll all stand and uh, we'll sing Silent Night together. So, Linda, if you want to go ahead and start. Thank you.
Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you came to rescue us. You're so good, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, I'm sorry, I just, this is one of the, best views I get all year. <laughs> I really hope that you have a wonderful Christmas with your family. Thank you so much for being here. For those that are online, we love you. We hope that you, wherever you're at, have an unbelievable Christmas. We love you so very much. And for everyone that's here, I love you. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you soon.